Good morning, church. Am I on? Testing, testing, testing. Okay. I don't think so. Oh, hello. Testing, testing. Are you guys hear me? I will yell. Okay, great. Good morning, church. It's great to see you this morning. Um, I just want to share a verse for, uh, for you found in James 1.17. It says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. We have so much to be grateful for uh, this morning. I just want to ask if you are brand new to our church we would love to get to know you we have a special gift for you so please uh, connect with uh, mrs boyko in the back there or an usher or one of the staff and we'll make sure you get that gift if you are online welcome uh, we're just so grateful you're able to log in and join us for our worship service this morning just a few announcements uh, a lot of is regards to kids ministry so that's why i asked if i could hijack the announcements this morning um, Tuesday is our Awana registration at 6.30 p.m. And I had a uh, Awana meeting with the leaders. And due to the lack of leaders, that we are going to cap it this year. And due to COVID, too, so we have uh, can go kind of deep and not wide. But I am opening up the registration to our church first. So if your ch children want to join Awana, uh, you guys get first dibs as our church family. So come see me after the, the service, and I'll get you an application form, and we'll get your kids registered for Awana. Then um, after that, I'll open it up to the community. But we're allowing 15 Sparks and 15 TNT, so 30 kids from kindergarten to grade 6. So you want get, to get your kids in if, if you want to do that. So um, Next week is our kickoff Sunday. Our pastor will be back from his holiday, so he'll be preaching, and uh, it's our, kind of our fall kickoff, so we're looking forward to that. Um, we're going to have cookies and coffee in the fellowship hall, and we're going to have a ministry fair. So um, today's, like, Friday was our mask. Uh, we have to wear masks in church on Sunday, as you know. However, when we have our kickoff next week, uh, you don't have to wear a mask if you're drinking coffee or um, eating a cookie, right, Kathy? Right, okay. <laughs> She's, but yeah, I put the mask back on after you've done your cookie. So, so Kathy's on our COVID team, so I had to kind of confirm that. So, but besides that, uh, we just ask that you keep your mask on during the worship service, unless if you're up here singing or preaching or doing announcements, you can take your mask off, or if you're eating or drinking coffee. So, besides that, mask on for now. Um, also next week, after the church service, if you have children um, from zero to grade six, I'm just inviting you over to my home for a backyard barbecue immediately after the church service. So if you don't see me at my booth, I'll just pawn it off to someone else because I have to go home and get that ready. So uh, just a heads up on that. So also, um, uh, thank you, um, Carol. So let's see, just two more quick announcements. Uh, Pastor Mark Barrett has asked, he is um, going to run Grief Share Ministry, so he needs some help with that. If you would like to help with that, he needs some people to help with preparing a snack on Thursday afternoon. And he'd also like it if uh, someone could uh, kind of co-lead with him in the ministry. So if God is laying, laying on your heart for that, just connect with Pastor Mark Barrett. Um, I'm just going to pray, and then we will dismiss the kids.
Father God, we thank you so much for your goodness to us, Lord. God, we thank you that um, you are a good God. Um, despite these difficult circumstances that we're all going through, Lord, uh, we, we can see your faithfulness in this whole thing, God. And I just pray for Pastor Mark, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would speak through him and that you would just encourage him and just speak through our congregation. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, kids, uh, just let's go to the fellowship hall and we'll have our Sunday school. Good morning, church. Good to see you this morning. Well, most of you, well, your faces are masked, so I can't see all of you, but most, you're from the eyes up. You're looking good today. You really are. <laughs> Handsome and pretty and, uh, oh boy, another round of masks, right? But uh, that's okay. We get to meet together, and uh, thank you for coming on this long weekend and being a part of the, uh, the fellowship here, and uh, we're looking forward to a good season of ministry once again and what God has in store for us. We're excited about uh, the things that are starting to unfold and develop, uh, all of the ministries, the, right from the youth to the adult, uh, seniors, and uh, it's, it's an exciting time of year, and I hope that uh, you are plugged in to uh, one of those ministries in, in, in one way or the other. Uh, we're having kind of a launch off for a small group ministry on the 11th as we do some training uh, for the small group leaders. And if you'd like to be involved with that training, that would be awesome. We'd love to have you come. And because I'm actually interested in starting some new groups uh, in the church. And so if you feel led by the Lord to maybe uh, help us with one of the small groups, uh, you're more than welcome to attend that on the 11th. Uh, well, take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to the book of Acts in chapter 11. Uh, a mother was preparing pancakes for her two, two young children, uh, Kevin uh, 5 and Ryan 3. And uh, as boys do, they began to argue about who was going to get the first pancake. And uh, the mother stopped and said, uh, you know, if Jesus were here, he would probably say, uh, my brother can have the first camp pancake. That's okay. I can wait. And Kevin turns to Ryan and said, you be Jesus. Right. <laughs> a father was uh, explaining to his young child uh, what a Christian is like, trying to give characteristics and descriptions of that. And, and at the end of the conversation, the boy said something to his father that he would never forget. He said, Father... Have I ever seen one? As I think about that, I wonder today as we think about our own lives, as we think about our own walk with the Lord, as we think about our own spiritual journey, I wonder, not speaking, not, don't think about anybody else right now. Don't, don't think, oh, you know, so-and-so needs to hear this. But let's think about ourselves individually, personally. And let's ask our, ourselves, am I a person that demonstrates my walk in such a way that other people could identify me as a Christian? It's a question for us to ponder. The title Christian was a name that was uh, given to 
the first century church in the book of Acts, after the church began to form and, and people began following Jesus Christ, and it was probably coined by a pagan population in Antioch as a slang word, as simply a word that meant adherence to Christ or followers of Christ. But they weren't called Christians just because of their conversion to Christ, but it was because of their belief in and their conduct and their language and their way of life as they lived for Christ. In other words, you're called a Christian because of your faith in Jesus Christ for your salvation, but that's not where it stops. That's only the beginning of it. It's the beginning step. And that's why, for the most part, the Christians in the New Testament were designated as disciples. And you remember the last time I had an opportunity to share the word with you, we talked about what does it mean to be a disciple. This is such an important lesson for us to learn today, especially in the day in which we live. For you see, to some people, Christian is just a label and nothing more. And to other people, a lot of, in, uh, to a lot of people around the world who are looking in on North America, Canada, and the United States, did you know that they view us as a Christian nation? They still do. And for some people, the name Christian is given to anybody who attends a church of any kind, whatever it is. And that's why we need to be clear about what it means to be a Christian Today, you see, there's a vast difference between being called a Christian and being a disciple of Jesus Christ. A disciple is a person who is a lifelong learner from and a follower of Jesus Christ. It's a person determined to go where Jesus went, do what Jesus did, and say what Jesus said. That's a disciple. A disciple is a person who has wholly and fully submitted themselves to Christ, being the Lord and the King of their lives. Today, I want to help us to distinguish the difference between the position and the practice. You see, Christianity is my position in Christ. I receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and positionally, I become a child of God, and indeed we are. But my practice is my discipleship. Discipleship is my life for Christ, my practice. Let me put it another way. The Christian received the life of Jesus Christ. The disciple gives a life for Christ. The Christian is one who professes faith. The disciple is one who practices faith. The Christian is internal in his or her conversion, but the disciple is external in his or her conduct. The Christian is one who talks about being saved. The disciple is one who lives like he's saved. A Christian is saved by faith alone. A disciple demonstrates that faith by his good works. You see, in the context of the kingdom of God, a disciple is a Christian, but not every Christian is necessarily a disciple. And we're going to see in our text today that the lifestyle of the people that are described here defined the name but the name didn't define the lifestyle. And so 
I want to begin by taking a closer look at the people of discipleship. We find ourselves in Acts chapter 11, and I know Pastor Mark is working with his way through the book of Acts, and he'll get here eventually, but I promise you that uh, two preachers can preach from the same book of the Bible and get two completely different messages, so I'm certain that I'm not going to be stealing his thunder this morning. So we're going to begin in verse 19. Now those who were scattered because of, the, because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this was a period of time, as you know, if you've read through the book of Acts, beginning in chapter 7 and 8, this is a period of time in the book of Acts when, when persecution had fallen upon the church of Jesus Christ. And as a result, the first martyr of the Christian church was a man named Stephen, a follower of Christ. As a result of his death, Saul, who later became the apostle Paul after his conversion, began persecuting the church wherever he could find it. And why were they scattered? Well, if you read the rest of the passage of chapter 19, you see that it wasn't the apostles who were scattered from Jerusalem. The apostles stayed in Jerusalem, but it was the other Christians. It was church members. It was, it was, it was converts to Christianity who were scattered about. Christians, church leaders, evangelists of the church, they were scattered. And it wasn't because they had all walked with Jesus personally because many of those people had received Christ after the ascension of Jesus Christ. You remember the great uh, sermon that Peter preached and 3,000 people came into the church and then the church continued to grow as the Bible says people continued to be saved and so many of these people who were persecuted and scattered were simply people who had received Christ after the ascension of Christ. And, it, and, and, and because they were following the example of Christ, they were persecuted. They were put out of their homes. They, were, they lost their jobs. They had to leave their families. In this way, they were Jesus' disciples. And I want you to see what they did after they were driven from their homes and the, from their churches and from their cities and from their jobs. If you read in verse 19, the latter part, it says, they continued speaking the word to no one except Jews. You see, Jesus, here, here's a really, a really exciting part of this passage, is that Jesus had had such an impact on their lives He had made such a difference in their lives that even though they were being persecuted for their faith, for following Jesus, imagine that God had changed their lives so dramatically that they could not stop speaking about the name of Jesus, even though though they were told not to. And the disciples were told not to. The apostles were told not to speak in the name of Jesus. He had such an impact on their lives that as they went out from where they were scattered, they continued to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
The Spirit of God came upon these men and women of faith, and they went out and began sharing their faith in the midst of persecution. Imagine they were being forced from their homes and their jobs. They couldn't couldn't buy and sell in the marketplace anymore. They lost their jobs. Many of them had to leave their families. We might compare them in some sense of the word to the, the refugees in Afghan right now. They're being forced from their homes. But these were followers of Jesus. And they, were going, and they weren't going to let a little bit of a persecution to stop them from sharing Jesus Christ because they realized, listen to this, because they realized that the change in them was greater than the change that was happening around them. That's significant. And so here's our first principle of discipleship I want you to remember this morning that a disciple is somebody who lives out their faith regardless of what is happening around them. Can we begin there? You see, something was going on around them and in their lives that compelled them to continue to talk about Jesus. God was at work in their midst. They had been born again by the power of God and they had been learning how to follow Jesus. They had, learning, uh, they had been learning about what it meant to live a spirit-filled life. And as they were scattered, God was at the center of their conversations. Why? Because he, listen, because he was at the center of their lives. He was at the center of their conversation because he was at the center of their lives. So everywhere they went, they talked about Jesus Christ. You see, calling yourself a Christian, but not being a disciple, is kind of like auditing a college class. Do you know what the difference is between auditing a class and taking it for credit? I've audited several classes at at various colleges, and you know what the difference is? It's the cost. It's the cost. What's the difference between professing Christ and, and an empowered disciple? It's the cost. The disciple will serve Christ no matter the cost because he's at the center of their lives. What's at the center of your life? I'll tell you how you can tell what's at the center of your life. The thing that preoccupies the majority of your conversations. Some people at the center of their lives is sports. You know, every time you get together with them. Oh, did you see the latest? Did you watch it? And they know all the scores and all the, you know, players and all the history. They, they know all, but they can't, they can't quote one verse of the Bible. Because sports is at the center of their lives. Some people, all they can talk about are, is their job. That's all they talk about. Why? Because that's at the center of their life. You can tell what is at the center of your life when you begin to examine that which you talk about the most when you get together with people. Think about that in the next conversation that you have with someone. I'm not asking you to judge anyone. I'm asking us to... I'm asking us to Look at ourselves. I'm asking us to do a self-examination and ask ourselves, what is it that I talk about the most? 
If Christ is at the center of our lives, I guarantee he's gonna be primary in our conversations with people. Don't you love it when people come over to your house and, 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 and all you do is you talk about Jesus. <laughs> you talk about the Bible, you talk about the latest thing you've learned in scripture, about your devotions, what you're reading, about what you learned at church, about, about the message that you heard somebody somewhere else, about the devotional that you, you talk about Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is at the center of your life. I want you to look at the marks of discipleship. Beginning in verse 21. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. And the report of this came to the ears of the church of Jerusalem. This is an exciting portion of Scripture. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And we came, when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. I want you to notice verse 23 again. When he came and saw the grace of God. And because of that, verse 24 goes on to say, and a great many people were added to the Lord. Do you see the connection there? Between the grace of God and those being added to the Lord. You see, that's a mark of discipleship. That people are turning to the Lord because of the grace of God. Not only that they see in us, but which he, which he is displaying in others. And as they were scattered, God was at the center of their conversations because he was at the center of their lives. And the, and the grace of God was being displayed as more people were being saved and lives were being changed. Now, does that mean that all of us personally will always be leading somebody to the Lord? No, it doesn't mean that. I don't want you to go away feeling guilty because you say, well, I haven't led anybody to the Lord. I guess, I, you know, I guess I'm not a very good Christian. No, that's not what that means. Because it was the Apostle Paul, remember, who said, some sow the seed, some, that's right, water the seed, and some reap the harvest. The, the guy who sowed the seed, he may not be the guy who reaps the harvest. The guy who waters, he may, he's not the one who sowed. The guy who reaps, well, he didn't water or sow. Billy Graham, when he was still uh, conducting his crusades, he would often say that the, 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 that the majority of of evangelism, the majority of what was, what was happening and leading people to Christ had happened months and even years before he even arrived on the scene as hundreds and thousands of people had been planting and watering and he showed up in town and he reaped the harvest. He recognized that everybody was playing a part. Also, I want you to notice in verse 22, that news about that was going on, what was going on in Antioch began to spread. That, does that encourage you when, you when you see somebody come to know Christ? Of course it does. Does it discourage, discourage you when there's a long gap between times of when you hear about somebody coming to the Lord? That, that ought to concern us. That, that ought to drive us to our knees. That ought to, to cause us to be concerned about the soul of lost people. We ought to be concerned enough to begin acting on our concern. Well, stuff was happening in Antioch. People were being saved. Lives were being transformed. And, 
And guess what? News about that reached Jerusalem. You know, Antioch was some 300 miles, 482 kilometers north of Jerusalem, and yet word got down to them. That's like from here to Lethbridge. You know, I did the calculation. It's a little bit farther, but that's about the distance if you want to have a comparison. Um, People from Lethbridge were hearing that God was doing something at Northgate, (laughs) And they sent some, some representatives from the church in Lethbridge to see what was going on. Why did they come in? Why did Barnabas get sent to Antioch? Because they heard that something was happening, that God was at work, and they wanted to examine it to see if it were true. And remember, this was before CNN News. <laughs> It was before Associated Press, no Newsweek magazine, nobody Twittered it, nobody tweeted it, nobody messengered it, nobody sent it by text, nobody emailed it. They heard by word of mouth, people were being saved, their lives being transformed, Merchants were traveling here and there. They were going and visiting their relatives and they were saying, hey, you ought to see what's happening at Antioch. God is performing some miraculous things. You need to go see what's happening. (laughs) And so they go, man, something weird is going on. We need to go find out what's going on. So they send Barnabas. You see, discipleship happens when people start to notice the difference in our lives and what is happening through us, and news starts to spread. It's when people start to say, hey, What happened to that guy? Something is different in him. What happened to that lady? Like all of a sudden she's got different language and she's not so angry all the time. Something that's different about her. Hey, what's happening over there at Northgate? You know, something is being stirred up and I don't know, like I've heard rumors and stories when I was on the East Coast, I hesitate to use this illustration because I'm not necessarily in agreement with what was happening, but when we were on the East Coast ministering, there was a particular church in the Toronto area, I'll put it that way, that was uh, doing some pretty, you know, some things. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, there were people who were traveling to that church from New Brunswick and Nova Scotia and and all the way from the West Coast to Toronto to see what was happening in that church. Now, it turns out it wasn't all, you know, what they said it was. but, But here's my point. When God begins to do something in our church, in our lives, in our community, people are gonna come and see what's happening. It's just, it's just like curiosity killed the cat, right? They might not come in for the right motives. They, they might not even know why they're going, but they've heard something is happening. They've seen it in people's lives, and they're going to go and see for themselves. And so the church at Jerusalem decided to send Barnabas to investigate what they were hearing about Antioch. And so Barnabas, he travels all the way, 300 miles from Jerusalem. There wasn't a, like a highway like from here to Lethbridge. 
You know, they're, they're walking on dirt. They probably took them a few days to get there. Maybe it's a little bit of a stretch of the imagination or interpretation even. But might I suggest that when discipleship is happening, there will be people who are on the sidelines who, who will be watching, who will be observing. And I, and I say that because many times, you know, I, I think that we think that that what I do is my own business, where I go and what I say and what I post on social media and, and things that I look at and things that I participate, that's kind of my own business. It's nobody else's business and, and it's not gonna really make a big difference in anybody else's life. And that's totally not true. When, when Barnabas arrived in Antioch, he saw the evidence of God's grace. Why? Because because people were genuinely following Jesus. And, and when people see Jesus people, when they see people genuinely following Jesus, they're watching, they're observing, they're seeing what's happening, they, they, they notice. Our, is what we are doing what Jesus is doing? Does our lifestyle, does our language, does what we post, does what we participate in our, our activities, a reflection of our relationship with Jesus Christ. There's some evidence of the grace of God happening in our lives. I'm not talking about like what happened 30 years ago, right? I'm talking about what's happening right now. I've, you know, churches. I don't know, years past, we used to have testimonial times. Did you have those at this church? Testimonial days. And people would stand up, and it was a wonderful time. People would give their testimony. But, but many times, over a period of weeks, the same person would stand up and talk about how they were saved like, you know, 30 years ago. And, that, and that's, and that's I, I don't know, I, I, thought, I wasn't judging them, but I thought to myself, I wonder if anything else has happened in their lives since then. <laughs> and and, and that's, that's what I'm talking about. What is Jesus doing in our lives today that is making a difference and that people are observing and they're saying, hey, what's going on? Barnabas is gonna give us a good example of how to practice being a disciple. Beginning in verse 24. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. And so Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch for a whole year. They, they met the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians in verse 24 it says that Barnabas was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and it's because of that because of of the fullness of the Spirit not only on Barnabas that was but was upon those who are following Jesus in Antioch that a great many people were coming to know, to know the Lord some again I just I just want to camp on that just for a minute some people think that their lifestyle really doesn't make a difference in other people's lives. Man, I see Christians post the dumbest things on social media that I think, my goodness, do they wreck it? Do they see what that looks like? Like the whole world can see that, right? 
And I think, do, do they even notice, do they even see how the world is observing? And, and they're probably saying to themselves, I don't see a difference. Like, they're doing the same thing I'm doing. They're, they're using the same language I use. They're practicing the same things I'm practicing. You see, what, what people are observing is what makes the difference. The Bible says, come, come ye out from amongst them. Who? The world. Don't do what the world does. Don't practice what the world practices. Don't act like the world acts. Why? Because the world is watching. They are observing. They're saying, are you different than me? So that if I ever get the opportunity to share the gospel with someone, I can clearly be identified as a Christian, a Christ follower. They can see the difference. The story is told of Alexander the Great, who was at times very harsh as a judge on the battlefield, especially in situations of desertion. And one day a young boy was brought by a commander to Alexander the Great. And Alexander asked what the young boy's name was, and the commander said, his name is Alexander, sir. And Alexander the Great, his countenance suddenly softened as though he was, uh, you know, pleased and he was honored that somebody would be called by his name. And then he, then he asked the, the, the commander, what is the accusation against this young man? And the commander said, desertion, sir. He left his post in the midst of battle. And suddenly the countenance of of Alexander the Great became stern and harsh. And he looked at the young man and he said, young man, what did you say your name was? He said, Alexander, sir. And with a heightened voice, Alexander once again said to him, son, what did you say your name was? And the boy said, uh, uh, Alexander, sir. And Alexander the Great jumped up from his seat and he grabbed the young man by the shoulders and he said, young man, either change your behavior or change your name. And I would say some Christians need to take that as an example, that either you change your behavior or you change your name because those who follow Jesus Christ act like Christ. Barnabas was a man who made it a practice to model his life after his master so that others could see Jesus in him. Think about that for a minute. You spend more time out there at the workplace and in your home and shopping than you do here in church. And so my humble advice to you is not to reserve your life uh, for for your job or 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 for for church, but rather my my humble advice to you is spend your life out there amongst those living for Jesus Christ. Make sure that your behavior and your words match your name. Verse twenty six says that they were first called Christians in Antioch. <clears throat> 
What was it about these early believers that the, it deemed the public uh, the, the, the right to call them Christians? Well, the word Christian comes from an adjective that comes from the noun Christos or the Christ or the anointed one. And it refers to a follower of Jesus Christ. And, and as I've already said, it was probably a title that was given to them by the pagan idol worshipers in a kind of a derogatory sense uh, in Antioch. But it was a title that the early believers, they took on proudly. Why? Because they truly wanted to be known as Christ followers. They didn't want to hide the fact. They didn't want to hide it under a bushel. They didn't didn't want to excuse themselves, even though they were being persecuted. They just talked and talked, and they walked the talk, and they talked the walk. They, They wanted to be Christ followers. They not only wanted to speak for Christ... They wanted to live for Christ. And this was obvious to anyone who saw them. People looked at them, looked at their lifestyle, looked at their language, and they said, you you people, you're trying to be like Christ. You know, you're always talking about Christ. Your whole life is centered on Christ. We're going to call you Christians, right? You can hear it, right? And no doubt Barnabas marched into the church office where the apostle Paul was sitting and he said, Paul, Paul, guess what they're calling us now? And Paul goes, oh man, what are they calling us now? They're calling us Christians. And I can see Paul, he leans back in his lambskin lying lazy boy chair and he goes, Christian. Yeah, I, I kind of like that. You know, I kind of like to be known as a Christian. And Barnabas may have said something, yeah, I think I like that better than the first Judeo-Apostolic Church of God and Christ Followers International. You know, I don't know. It's, it's Christian. <laughs> Christian. We like to be called Christian. And some people say, well, I don't use the word Christian anymore. You know, I say, I, I'm a Christ follower. I follow Christ or yeah, that's, whatever. You know what? Christian is a biblical name. Let's not give it up. Let's not surrender our name. Just because others don't, don't live up to the name, just because it's being slandered, just because others say, well, you know, that's not an appropriate name. No, it's a biblical name. We have to claim the name. Christian. Who are you? I am a Christian first. I'm a Christian first. What church do you go to? I'm a Christian first. Oh, I, I go to that church, you know, Northgate, Baptist. But I'm a Christian. Let's claim the name. Let's live by the name. I wonder, do people identify you as a good person, full of the Holy Spirit, a Christ follower? That's a disciple. An unknown author once uh, penned these words that I think says a lot about what it means to be a disciple I am a soldier in the army of God. The Lord Jesus Christ is my commanding officer. The Holy Bible is my code of conduct. Faith and prayer and the word are my weapons of warfare. I have been taught by the Holy Spirit, trained by experience, tried by adversity, tested by fire. I am a volunteer in this army and I am enlisted for eternity. 
I will either retire in this army at the rapture or die in this army, but I will not get out, sell out, be talked out, or pushed out. I am faithful, reliable, capable, dependable. If my God needs me, I am there. I'm committed. I cannot have my feelings hurt bad enough to turn me around. I cannot be discouraged enough to to turn me aside. I cannot lose enough to cause me to quit. If I end up with nothing, I will still come out ahead. I will win. My God has and will conquer to supply, continue to supply all of my needs. I am more than a conqueror. I will always triumph. I can do all things through Christ. Devils cannot defeat me. People cannot disillusion me. Weather cannot weary me. Sickness cannot stop me. Battles cannot beat me. Money cannot buy me. Governments cannot silence me. And hell cannot handle me. I am a soldier. Even death cannot destroy me. For when my commander calls me from the battlefield, he will promote me to captain and then allow me to rule with him. I'm a soldier in the army. And I'm marching, claiming victory. I will not give up. I will not turn around. I am a soldier marching, heaven bound. Does that describe you today? It should, if you call yourself Christian. And if you don't call yourself Christian, I want to encourage you to do so today. For Christ came to claim victory over our sin. Christ came to pay the penalty for sin that we could not pay ourselves. Christ died on a cross of Calvary so that we could be set free from the bondage of sin, the enslavement that sin brings. And if you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Bible says that all things become new, old things are passed away. You become a new person in Christ. He will change your life forever. And best of all, you have eternity to look forward to. Will you bow in prayer with me? And if you'd like to receive Christ today, you could do so simply by saying, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I confess my sins to you. Come into my heart. I receive the gift of eternal life. I receive the free gift that you have to offer to me. Live in me. Become the Lord and the master of my life. And if today you're a Christian and you have not been acting like a Christian, you can confess that today. Lord Jesus, you know what? I'm I'm a Christian, but my lifestyle hasn't really demonstrated that. I don't know if people can tell whether I'm a Christian or not. Lord, come into my life and anoint me and Help me to live for you. Help me to walk with you. Help me to be a a Christian like those New Testament Christians that watered and planted and reaped. Christians who would make a difference in this world. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If today you prayed and received Christ as your Savior, uh, please contact us. Let us know. We want to encourage you. We want to give you some materials that will help you in your walk with the Lord. And we want to stand with you in this journey. We're going to enjoy a communion together this morning. And if you were able to get 
um, a little uh, communion cup. Um, that's great. If not, you can go over there where Wendy is standing at the door and you can pick one up. Or if you raise your hand, uh, she'll bring the tray over to you and uh, you, can, you can get one from her. The Bible uh, is, is very clear on uh, what communion is about and, and that we ought to celebrate communion, the Lord's table, uh, as often as, as we can, as often as you will do this, the Bible says. And, and so we find a description of the communion service in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle Paul writing very clearly, but in the following instructions, I do not command you because uh, you, you come together, not for better, but for worse. And he gives them some instruction about how they're doing this wrong. And then in verse 23, he said, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. And they're sitting there going, what? New covenant? Like they knew about covenants, right? They had been practicing covenants for thousands of years. And all of a sudden Jesus says, I'm gonna give you a new covenant. And they're going, what? what? What new covenant? What is he talking about? He says, I'm gonna give you a new covenant in my blood. Not the sacrificial lamb's blood anymore, but it's gonna be in my blood. Uh, now, we, now we've got a big difference. He says, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Every time that we have communion together, we are proclaiming the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we are acknowledging, we're worshiping, and we're praising him for what he did on Calvary's cross. And so this morning, before we take the bread, which is just under the lid, if you've never used one of these before, there's a tab there, and you just peel, the, peel that brat back, and you'll find a little wafer there. If you begin to do that now, Felix is going to come, and he's going to offer prayer of thanksgiving for the bread that we're about to partake of. Precious Lord, we thank you for the privilege that you have given to us to be called your children. We are grateful, Lord, because you came and um, you sacrificed yourself so that we might have salvation. As we take this bread this morning, we ask, O oh Lord, that... Um, the essence of your sacrifice be done afresh in our lives. Amen. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for your presence in this place today. Amen. Thank you for what you are doing in our lives, and thank you for your word. Amen. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen. Amen. Jesus took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat all of it in remembrance of me.
that same night, Jesus took the, the wine and, and he poured it and he said, this is, this is my blood of the covenant given for the remission of the sins of many. Apart from the shedding of blood, there's no remission for sin, no forgiveness apart from Jesus. The sacrifices could not ultimately forgive. It just covered. Jesus forgives completely. He washes our sins away. Oh, the blood of Jesus that cleanses us and washes us white as snow. Before we partake, Fred is going to come and give thanks for the juice that we're about to drink in remembrance of Christ. Jesus said, this is my blood of the covenant, poured out for the remissions of the sins of many, drank ye all of it in remembrance of me. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you've accomplished for us, giving us redemption, forgiveness, freedom from the bondage of sin. Now, as we go from this place, I pray that we'll go in the grace of God, that our lives will be a spectacle of who Jesus is. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. I call the worship team up and we're gonna close with a song. Let's stand and sing the closing hymn.